0: I love that coat, right there, Dan. That thing's cool looking. Well, glad to be with you guys. Uh, I wanted to ask you to pray with me on something. One, I wanted to inform you about it so that, that that you know about it. You're the first to know about it. You guys were actually a part of the recruiting team, whether you knew it or not. A couple of weeks ago, there was a uh, couple in their 30s. They they sat sat in this room with you guys, and Joe and Derek took them to dinner Saturday night. And we've been looking for. Uh, a pastor to start a church downtown columbia so uh scott and jess Schufer they came and they joined y'all they loved it they they uh, commented about a variety of things here at radius white Knoll, and um they actually they actually emailed me this week that they want to come down and plant a church downtown columbia so you guys can begin to to pray about, like, so we need to find them. We got all kinds of issues, right? Like, for one, they're planting the church. We don't have anybody there. So it's just them, right? So they're moving down. We'll have a place for them to meet. All those things got to come clear. But it's pretty cool. We've been praying about maybe extending our radius and uh, loving the downtown community, particularly students. So uh, if you would, I want to pray for Scott and Jess. They're going to have to figure out how to get here. This is what we're dreaming about. We're dreaming about, so in case you didn't know, we named this thing because we wanted to make a spot on the, on the uh, a map and then work our way out. Start with your neighborhood. We want to love our neighbors, and over the course of time, tell them and teach them about Jesus. And we're really excited that Scott and his wife Jess are willing to come down. Four kids, all boys, so it, it should be uh, quite, quite the move for those guys. Let me pray for them, and then we'll, we'll jump into this passage. Father, uh, first of all, I just want to celebrate what you've done right here at Radius White Knoll. Over the years, you've given them influence. You've uh, given them a voice uh, across this community. They're one of the first places people go when they need help or counsel. We give you glory for that, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we like to ask for more. We, we want to be responsible for what you've given us, and then we want to have energy for more. Or well, you know even here we're dreaming about being in Pillion sometime soon, or we'd love to love to put a spot on the map in Pillion and, and start to love that geography as well. Thank you for Scott and Jess. It's cool that they would come here on a Sunday morning and really feel like they fit and uh, enjoy uh, being in fellowship here and kind of kinda smell our DNA and and want to reproduce it downtown. So we we pray for them as they think about moving their family here. Pray that you give them uh, uh, a lot of wisdom in the process of uh, selling a house and finding a place to live. And we're wondering kind of where you want them to be downtown Columbia. So, even praying about a couple buildings that have uh, we've heard about down there for them possibly to meet. So, we just want to know what you want. We're thankful that you use us as your ambassadors to spread the good news about you, Jesus. Thank you for your word for the story about Joseph. Pray you bring it to life for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Thursday, I uh decided to take half day off and go up and take my dad to lunch. It's his 78th birthday, um, which he could care less if I remembered his birthday or not. I, my mom, on the other hand, you forget your mama's birthday. I've, only, I've done that once. It didn't go well, right? I make a note. Oh, y'all, you can't forget your mom. My dad doesn't care, but I decided this, this year I want to go up and take him to lunch. So I get in the car. I get to about Chapin. He lives up in upstate in Anderson, and I call him because the weather's supposed to be bad on Thursday. I go, Dad, what's the weather like up there? He goes, Ah, it's rained a little bit. Nothing major. So I pull just past greenville i'm on my way into anderson and literally the ditches are overflowing with water and water is flowing through the grass you know like where there's not supposed to be a stream it's like there's it's flowing through the grass so i turn a radio on it says that there's a tornado warning that one's been sighted in south this is my dad he's like yeah come on let's eat a burrito it's not like no big deal this is the way he is i didn't fall far from the tree so I pull in and we get in the car and we we ride down to burrito place. Turns out my sister and my mom are blowing up his phone because I guess we're not supposed to be out in the weather or something. But we 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 uh, enjoyed our burrito. I got spicy chicken. It was awesome. It was uh, it was just this thing that happens. Still, I'm 52. I'm sitting across from the table with my dad. I just really want him to be proud. Makes me want to brag. Anybody else ever ever in the spot? So what's interesting is. No matter what what kind of dad you have, some of y'all have some pain from a father or a father that was absent that is just intense. And every time I even mention the word dad, I kind of feel it for a group of people like us. And it's weird how even when that father, even, even if he's passed, there's this weird thing inside of us that wants to make even his memory, make him proud. There's something about uh, sitting there with my father across from the table that just wants that. I, I started so, so you can't tell a story about yourself because I'd be bragging. So I start telling about my kids, my the grandkids, my dad. He has like if he was playing poker, you could take all his money because he's got this tail. When he's about to get emotional, he looks away and he looks down at the table. He looked down at his burrito in this case. But he'll he'll uh, I, I'm telling him about one of my sons and something that he's done. My dad will tip his head, which means he's trying to keep the tears. I don't know what happened. My, my dad never shed a tear his entire life. And then all of a sudden, we had grandkids do start crying. I'm I'm, I'm kind of scared about this process, but. It was uh it's 52. I got six kids. We we got a house. We we have a home, but there's something about being around my dad it feels like home. Right? It not the house, not the place, but the man. The man. And and for uh some of you where there's been a lot of pain in that relationship, a lot of the pain comes because it's supposed to feel that way. It's supposed to feel like home. But here's here's what I realized. I'm sitting there with my dad and I had a really good father. It's never like perfect. It's never the perfect home. We, we're different people still. And, and so for some of y'all to have a much tougher relationship with a father or father's past, it's frustrating because you really want it to be fully home. And even when it's really good, it's just never fully home. But it is good. So we're reading this passage about a man named Joseph. I think it's, it's easy to forget how long he's been away from home. His home was dysfunctional. It had all kind of issues. If you don't remember, he was actually sold into slavery by his own brothers, right? So it's dysfunctional, but there's still this tearing of his heart, and you'll feel it in this passage, still desiring to be home. Let me read you a little bit. This is uh, Genesis chapter 41. It starts off full to, uh, two full years later. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. So it's this interesting introduction to a whole bunch of verses that we'll, we'll move through fairly quickly. But it, it captures more time, two full, more years. You remember when you're 13, how long two years seemed? Seemed like forever. You get 52, two years seems pretty quick. But, but Joseph, remember, remember his age when he sold in slavery? Anybody remember what, how old he was? But I want to take a guess. 17 is what most people guess. 16, 17. So so here, let's do this. 16, 17-year-olds in the room. Y'all willing to stand up? I promise I won't ask you to do anything crazy. Just stand up so we can see. Anybody? 16, 17, 18? I got one in the back. got one right here, right? Grown man, looking 17. I like like that. I like that. Good. All right. And and so now he's been multiple places. And as this story's unfolding, he's 30. So he's 28 to 30. I got any 28, 30-year-olds in the room? We had, y'all stay up, if up, stay up, you want, 28 to 30-year-olds. Right. We got a bunch of 28, 30-year-olds. That's awesome. Great. So here's, there's uh, 16 to 18 in the front and right here. And then you got all you guys look like y'all been living forever since, since, uh, since you were that age, right? Y'all can sit. You can sit. See, I didn't embarrass nobody. We're we good. So Joseph goes, is sold by his brothers at, at these two young men's age. And here we are. They're your age. Right. Some of y'all got jobs. You got families. You got some of y'all need to get some jobs like, like, you know, they got all that in them. Like 28, 28 to 30. And, and these guys are just finishing or at, near the end of their school years. And you talk just totally different stages of life. I, I want you to feel that Joseph has been sold by his brothers and he's been away from his family for that long, 13 years. Well, sometimes a number doesn't actually capture the idea. When this thing starts off full, two full more years, if you go back to the passage before, you, you, you remember he uh, interpreted this dream. And he thought it was kind of his get out of jail free card. And he's been waiting for it to pay off. And, and here it comes in this passage. So two years later, one of the really hard parts uh, about life is time. One, as we get older, it seems like it's going too fast and we're running out. When we're younger, we're waiting for something to come often. We're waiting to finally get there, to make it. It seems like it'll never happen. And time is just a monster part of the story in the scriptures. One of the really cool parts about a a narrative like this is that you can feel some of the things like time. And so when he says two, four years later, he's wanting you to feel that Joseph, as a young man, is waiting, he's waiting, and he's waiting. And then it says Pharaoh dreamed. If you've been with us for the whole series, there's been lots of dreams. As a matter of fact, oftentimes Joseph is known as the dreamer. Anybody, uh, anybody in the room tell me about Joseph's first dream? Anybody remember it? Anybody under 15 tell me about his first dream? This would take great courage, right? Because you could be wrong. That's why everybody's scared to say it, right? Anybody over 15 brave enough to tell me about his first dream? Anybody remember what happened? His brothers bow down to him. So he dreams about these these bushels of grain. So they're farmers and and shepherds. And so they they would gather these bushels of grain. And you can just imagine wrapping around. So all the brothers have a bushel of grain. And he dreams that his brother's bushels bow down to his bushel, right? Now, it's okay to dream that. What should you not do if you're the youngest brother and you have this dream about your older brother's? You shouldn't tell them right like, like keep your mouth just for your own safety and good right so he tells them about this dream and of course they get jealous and then he has another dream dad's in the room you're gonna feel this he dreams about sun and the moon and 11 stars and he, he brings his mom and dad in with the brothers He's, i had this dream about sun and the moon 11 stars and they all bowed down to me how about that what's the dad say Shut up, son! What you doing, man? Shut your mouth! That's the dumbest thing you've ever like. His dad is on him, like like he he kind of gets on him because the sun represented the father and the moon the mother, and then here's all the brothers and they're all bowed down to him. But it's interesting. Jacob, who is his father, reprimands him for for stating that dream. But at the at the end of that little section in Genesis, it says that uh, that that uh, Jacob how does that say that? It says uh, wondered what the dreams meant pretty interesting so his dad's like he didn't love the dream but the brothers were jealous and jacob wondered what the dreams why would jacob like, why would he be consumed with a dream jacob have a dream anybody remember this in genesis jacob the father of joseph ever have a dream anybody remember anybody remember what he slept on this is bible trivia like a game on a rock right so yeah, actually in genesis chapter 28 you have uh, Jacob, Joseph's father, traveling. He falls asleep, and when he goes to sleep, he has a dream. He dreams about this stairway to heaven. And on that stairway to heaven, he sees angels going to heaven, and, and then um, angels coming from heaven to earth. And, and then God gives him a promise in that dream. He says uh, that, that he will, he, his people will prosper, and they'll be as numerous as the dust of the earth And he tells them that this ground is yours, right? That's what he tells Jacob, Joseph's father. So after the dream, he wakes up. I'm sure he had a crick in his neck. I ain't slept on a rock lately, but I'm sure it was uncomfortable. He wakes up, and he names that spot where God has promised him that it's his. He names it Bethel. You know what that means? The house of God is home. It's home for Jacob. And when you read the passage... Jacob, like his father, who was his father? Isaac, and who was his father? Abraham. Abraham was promised that his children be as, as many as the sands of the seashore, right? Here's Jacob getting the same promise that his children are gonna be like the dust of the earth. There were gonna be so many of them, and they were promised a land. You remember Abraham traveling to find that land, and here's Jacob being promised the same land. It's happening again, and that's home. And It's where he wants to be. It's this really interesting life full of dreams. You start with Jacob's dream and then Joseph has these two dreams with his brothers and then with his father and mother. And then Joseph is in jail. Remember this? He got thrown in jail last week, and this, this cupbearer who was very important in the kingdom, he served the king. He was an a important counselor. He tested the wine and the food to protect the king's safety in case someone would want to uh, um, poison the king or pharaoh. And so cupbearer's in jail, and the baker's in jail, and, and they have these dreams. You remember? They both have a dream. Joseph's in jail with them, and he interprets the dreams, and, and then basically nothing happens. And we come to chapter 41. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the the bank of the Nile. And in the dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows. Kind of like the Chick-fil-A cows, big old cows, right? And they came up out of the river and they began grazing in the marsh grass. And then he saw seven more cows. Uh, and they they came up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. I hate the word scrawny. People call me scrawny all the time when I was growing up. but so you can just imagine these aren't the best looking cows, right? I like to call us wiry, but they call us scrawny. Anyway, they come up out of <coughs> scrawny and thin. And these cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank and the scrawny thin cows ate that's what I'm talking. To, the scrawny thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows, and at this point. The dream uh, of the dream Pharaoh woke up. So he dreams this crazy dream about cows. And like me, if I have a bad dream, I wake up, I go back to sleep. He fell asleep again and he had a second dream. And this time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads, and then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. Two dreams back to back. You can imagine. I'm, uh, we lived in Iowa for a while. If you're a hunter, you get this. The people in Iowa think our deer down here are thin and scrawny because they are. Because the deer in Iowa are huge. Because they're corn fed, right? Like it's, it's a state full of corn. As a matter of fact, if you see our corn down here, my grandfather used to grow it in the, in the red dirt. In Anderson, South Carolina, they get about like this. The corn in Iowa is just, we used to eat Fensel's corn. It's just monster. Mon- so, so you actually got this comparison where there's these this really healthy cows and grain and, and this really unhealthy cows and grain. And, and, and the weaker of the two eat the stronger of the two. It's, it's a weird drink. And so Pharaoh comes home his dream. You can do this if you are the king of the land. He says, the next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by his dreams. And so he called all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell them what they meant. What are you talking about going to the, the, the magicians? I'm not going to Harry Houdini like if I got a problem, right, I, or uh, what's the dude's name, David Copperfield. I don't want some dude that's got so much makeup on he can't hardly, and, and he's doing tricks. I don't, I, so, so really to understand what magicians mean, if you go to original language, this would be more like the professors at Harvard or MIT. Or this would be the smartest businessman of the time. This be Bill Gates. He's pulling together, not the magicians in the sense of doing magic, but the folk, the brightest people of the time. And he wants them to help him with his dream. Do you remember this last week? Joseph actually has this great comment. The baker and and the cupbearer ask him to interpret their dreams. And this is what he says. He says, interpreting dreams is God's business. Why is that? Because only God knows the future. Interpreting dreams It's God's business. And so you have this moment where the smartest people in the land can't solve the problem for Pharaoh. And so then you got this interesting line in verse 9. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. You've been waiting? Like two years ago, he was in jail. Joseph interpreted his dream. How about going in there and getting Joseph out of jail? He obviously doesn't belong there. And here's what it says. He says, today I've been reminded of my failure." Oh, yeah. There's this. Uh, oh yeah, does this happen at your house every once in a while? I sing a song whenever Cheryl like forget. I, 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 anybody know the country song? It's a fine time to tell me, Lucy. Oh, I sing that every time Cheryl like leaves me hanging because she forgot about something. She doesn't love the song and I can't hit the note, so it doesn't really matter. But there's in this passage, you're, you're literally feeling this frustration from Joseph over in the jail. He's been waiting two full years for this guy to tell Pharaoh about him. And, and here it comes. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. And one night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. And there was a young Hebrew man. You catch that line? A young Hebrew man. For some of y'all uh, in our country, if you're not white, people often refer to you by your ethnicity. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage. The, the, the writer is grabbing what the man said. He, he identifies him by his color. Now, if, if he were Egyptian, they don't say anything, right? It's just the man in jail, the 511 guy. But if you're black or Hispanic in our culture, then you, we actually would call you the African-American over there or the Hispanic. That, that's exactly what's happening in this passage. And two passages ago, it, it was clearly a racist statement. You remember when Potiphar's wife said, you brought this Hebrew in here. It's a. Uh, it's a sad statement. Now, in this particular passage, I, I, I think that uh, Moses writing this passage is referring to him being as a Hebrew. And so I think he's actually speaking to it with pride. It's like it's, he's got this pride that he's a Hebrew. So, like, it, it can go either way. And, and most of y'all that are in a, it's interesting when you're the minority in a culture, no matter what the culture is, then you, you kind of get labeled by the color of your skin or the language that you speak. It's just, it's the way it works. It's not always a good thing. In this particular passage, this is a Hebrew. Remember, who, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses, all right. What was Moses? Hebrew. Where'd he grow up? Egypt. In the house of Pharaoh. So he knows this story. He knows what it's like to be a minority in a land that doesn't fully understand him, where people call him by by the color of his skin and the makeup of his face and the language that he speaks and the names that he carries. So he gets it. So he's writing this book. And it's interesting because I like on one level, two chapters ago, when Potiphar's wife calls Joseph a Hebrew, she's actually making fun of where he comes from. And, and Moses is recording that. And now this, these, the cupbearer remembers the Hebrew man. It's almost like it's like this compliment. So, so as you guys know, if you're a minority in our country, you know that can go either way. And it's kind of hard to decipher and it's frustrating that, that people would look down on any race because of color or have to uh, uh, affirm it all the time. But in this particular passage, you assume and I assume that Moses is kind of like he's a Hebrew man he's in prison he's got the answers it's the hebrew guy so it's 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 in a kind of a complimentary tone there was a young hebrew man who with us in prison who was a slave to the captain of the guard and he told him our dreams and he told us what each of our dreams meant and everything happened just as he had predicted it i love this lot i was restored to my position as a cupbearer right so the cupbearer's like remember me you threw me in jail i know you and you restored me back to my spot and then i imagine him mumbling and the chief baker he was executed and impaled on a pole. So he reminds the king of what happened and then how David predicted it and that it happened exactly. I mean, David, Joseph predicted it and it happened exactly as he said, Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Makes sense at once. And he was quickly brought from the prison and he was shaved and chained and he changed his clothes. And he went in and stood before Pharaoh in Egypt. For those of us that are balding and I'm, I'm rapidly joining the crowd, uh, this would have been a great land to live because they shaved. Everybody shaved. If you're an Egyptian and you were important, everybody, they, they shaved your head, shaved your face. You'd never be seen in, in, a, in front of Pharaoh unshaven. So if, if you're balding, I'd be like shortcut. You'd always be ready. But Joseph, they shave him down. They clean him up, and they send him in, in the front of Pharaoh. So you're talking about a guy 13 years. First, he was sold into slavery. He's promoted in Potiphar's house. Now he's been thrown into jail. We know he's been there probably at least three or four years. We're not exactly sure how many. We know at least two, right? Two plus. And here he is. He's going from jail into the presence of the most important man in the world. To his knowledge, Pharaoh. He walks in, they shave him. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. All those 30-somethings, just a 20, 20 and 30-somethings. Pretty cool when the greatest man in the world says, hey, I heard you have the answers because you know like in your 20s sometimes you have the answers and sometimes you don't sometimes you really think you got the answers and you really don't and sometimes you got the answers but nobody wants to hear what you have to say right because they're like you're 28 what could you know right like it kind of goes both ways well he uh he gives joseph this really this opportunity to say you're right right i got the answers Instead, Joseph has this amazing response. He says, it's beyond my power to do this. So Pharaoh kind of threw him a softball where he could say, yeah, I'm the man. And uh, Joseph says, I can't do this. matter of fact, New American Standard, which is uh, another English translation, says, uh, I'm scanning here for it, it says that it is not in me to do this. Pretty, pretty crazy statement. Instead, he says, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Referring back to what he said a couple chapters ago where he says, interpreting dreams is God's business. He wants to make sure Pharaoh knows this isn't me. This is God. So Pharaoh tells him that dream we just went through, right, about the fat grain. Skinny grain, the fat cows and skinny cows. And Joseph responded, verse 25. Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. Check this out. God is telling Pharaoh in advance that he, what he is about to do. You'll see that over and over in this, about five times, Joseph will refer to God. He won't refer to himself. He continues to downplay himself. In no way does he self-promote. It's kind of shocking. Anybody else in the Bible like that? A bunch of people. But the greatest was Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 2, Philippians 2 says that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God, which led him to the cross. And then later in Philippians 2, it says, therefore God elevated him to the place above all others. There seems to be this ongoing story in the scripture that humility is Is core to the followers of Jesus. This really tempting thing happens if you're a preacher. It'd be tempting for me to want to make you need me so that I'm your source, so that you want to know what John, Derek, or Joe say. But radius, we fight that. We we don't want you to source us. We want you to source Jesus because the reality is we're regular people. We're flawed people. We're sinners. We shouldn't source us. Now we want to be there and we want to do our play our roles well. But but we are not the source. Small group leaders, it's this dangerous thing that happens. You'll be leading a little group of ten people, enjoying fellowship, and all of a sudden you can enjoy, start to enjoy people needing you so much that you want to be the source. Where the design was for us to point other people to the source, right? So, so then we have to fight that because there's everything inside of us screaming to want to be needed. But we all know that we really aren't qualified, that we have one who's qualified. Matter of fact, that's why we're doing small groups like we're doing them right now. Because th- there's this interesting, if you've got an expert in the room, sometimes you start believing in an expert instead of allowing the scriptures to study you. So we're reading them, and maybe it's a little frustrating at times, but we really want us to all learn to source God. And Joseph is really overt in telling this Pharaoh, hey, I'm not the guy he is. He'll say it multiple times in this passage. I'll read it to you. The next seven years will be a period of great pro- oh, Let's see. I skipped some verses. Let's start verse 26. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows... They came up later, in the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. Seven years of prosperity, 1920s, right? Roaring 20s, right? Seven years of famine, 1930s, the Great Depression. We know it in our country. Had a lot, didn't have anything. People who had all kind of stuff couldn't afford to eat. This will happen just as I have described it. You talk about being connected to God. He is betting his life on this by saying this in front of Pharaoh. This will happen just as I described it, says Joseph, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory, even the memory. Of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams. It means that these events have been decreed by God. And he will soon make them happen. I can assure you based on what I've studied. The 1930s and the great depression. Nobody was remembering the 20s. It was so bad. Just trying to make it. Just trying to survive. So Joseph delivers this. Somber news to Pharaoh. Interpreting his dreams. And then he walks out this plan, which is pretty cool. I, I, you guys, you, you see Derek and I usually on stage, and Joe does the announcements. But if you want to know who does the planning around here, it is not Derek or John, right? We, we're not great planners. Joe's the great planner. He's kind of behind the scenes, people don't always know about it, but he's got stuff. He, he makes it work like a top, and uh, we don't, right? That, that's, that's not our strength. So we play as a team. In, in this particular passage, uh, Joseph is going to say, hey, you need somebody who can make all this work. And so he, he puts this forward. He says, therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent, wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. I don't know about you, but if I'm Joseph, I'm going like, to, hey, 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 like, like Look, see the name on my jersey? Like, you should get an intelligent, wise man, like, and put him in charge of everything. You really get no feel of that from Joseph if you read the whole passage. As a matter of fact, you wonder sometimes when you read this, if all Joseph wants to do is be able to go home. He's just giving Pharaoh a good plan to avert this disaster of famine. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years as, uh, just ahead uh, just and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it. So there will be food in the cities. That way, there will be enough to eat even in seven years of famine. Come to the land of Egypt; otherwise, the famine will destroy the land. You like the plan? Sounds like Social Security, doesn't it? <laughs> now we don't really know where we're going to get Social Security, but but they're planning for the future. So they're setting aside all this grain because the famine's coming. And Pharaoh bets the farm, literally, on this interpretation of his dreams. And watch verse 37. I think these are the verses that are the most crazy. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. And so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? Pretty cool. 30-somethings in the room again. Greatest man in the world. He's pointing at you, and he's going, can we find anybody like this man? Catch this last statement. We find anybody like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God. What a statement. It's so obvious that Joseph is filled with God. He, he hasn't promoted himself at any point in this story. I don't know about you, but it can be my natural leaning. There's a proverb. It reads like this. Uh, Proverbs 27. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. <laughs> Hard to do, isn't it? Especially when things are good. Let somebody else talk about you. Not out of your mouth. Joseph stayed quiet and here's Pharaoh, the king of the land. He's praising him. But he's praising him for what? So obviously filled with the spirit of God. I want to make a proclamation. If you know Jesus, if he saved you, you are filled with the spirit of God. Is it obvious? We're not talking about Star Wars. Wars. All right. I just mentioned Joe. When I talking about Star Wars, Joe, I went and saw it. I didn't understand a thing that was going on. Joe, I like, what in the heck was going on? I took Malachi. He loved it. And I, like, it was cool, but I'm sure I missed like 100% of what the meaning of that movie. But we're not talking about a force be with you. We're talking about the person of God indwelling you. So whatever the characters are, Luke Skywalker, I know that one, Luke Skywalker, whatever they are. They got the force with them, but you, as a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God indwelling you. The person of God. Not a force. A person indwelling you. And there's a possibility that he would dominate you. And and in Galatians 5, it actually said there's this war going on between the spirit of God who's indwelled you and your flesh. And that that war keeps going. And there's a battle until the end. until, Until we go and be with Jesus. It's this amazing statement about a young man who's 30 years old. It's the same statement that could be made about us. Man. Be cool if people said it was obvious that the spirit of God is within us, huh? Pharaoh goes on to say. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you clearly, no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are." Thirty-year-old man. All of his blessings are coming from his dependence on God. Moved into a neighborhood, ran crossing. I don't know if y'all met my wife. Cheryl has never met a stranger. Sometimes I would say she talks too much. Don't tell her, right? Listen, we're not recording this. One. Yeah. We, <laughs> but she's got to know all the neighbors. There's about 35 houses in that neighborhood. She got to know all the neighbors. When we moved out, there was a loss. And the neighbors would tell me about how Cheryl had changed the neighborhood, right? And for me, sometimes I'm like, you can't say that. Right? Like you can't say that. You you can't say she's just Cheryl just says tells it like it is and she's from the Midwest, she don't know all the rules in the South, right? So she's just rolling, being herself, and she changed the neighborhood. Right? You know why? Because the spirit of God was in her. That doesn't matter whether you're loud and talkative or quiet and reserved. So sometimes people will go, hey, I'm not like Cheryl because she she meets everybody. And then Cheryl says, but I'm not like them because they think about what they say. Right. And there's this there's this dynamic where we forget it's about the spirit of God. He takes even 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 our greatest strengths, or our biggest weaknesses, and he uses them for his glory. And potentially you and I can change our neighborhoods. Because we love well. Because we will extend beyond ourselves. We all do that differently. That's kind of what we're dreaming about at Radius. That's why we named this thing Radius. Because we thought we could change the neighborhood by the Spirit of God. Verse 40. He says, you'll be in charge of my court. Catch the language. Gives him all this praise, and then he tells him what to do. You'll be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have rank higher than yours. Catch the language again. I hereby put in charge of you the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. I feel like we're making a, like a music video. Got the chains on. he got the clothes on. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for the second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command shouted out, kneel down. I got Maloney, who is uh, the campus pastor over at Radius Rocky Creek. He's like, I wonder if he swung by Potiphar's house. Like, let's take the chariot by Potiphar. Let's pull up in Potiphar's drive. I wonder if Potiphar's wife's out on the porch rocking in a rocking chair and everybody and, and the guys yell, kneel down. Joseph's like, how you like me now? <laughs> it says nothing about this in the text, right? Like, it's, he, he's not trying to lord this over people. He has been given this authority. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or a foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. What are you talking about? Right? 13 years ago, he sold in slavery. and Then he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. And now he's the prime minister of the greatest land at this point in history. Made it. As he made it. It's a. Uh, Tempting to read this thing as an American and go, he's made it because now he's got cash and he's got authority or power. Because as Americans, if you got cash, you've made it. That's like what all the songs about, right? Cash and authority or pleasure or or some form of wealth. Americans believe you made it. So we've read this story for years and, and certainly he is not in the same predicament. As he was in the past. But there's this theologian named Vodi Bakum. He's, uh, he's brilliant. Uh, he argues, he goes, but he's still a slave. 13 years. He's been a slave. And now he's got, Vodi says, he's got on Pharaoh's ring. He's got on Pharaoh's robe. He's in Pharaoh's chariot. He's, Pharaoh in a minute is going to change his name. He's going to give him an Egyptian wife. He's going to be in charge of somebody else's land that he doesn't own. He's not home. And the more you read the passage, this is we're halfway through the story of Joseph. Can't be the crescendo. Can't be the crescendo. As a matter of fact, the little, little video that we run at the beginning, it shows him becoming second in command. But then what, what comes after? He rejoins his family. That's seven years later, seven plus years, before he sees his brothers for the first time. And then finally sees his father again. And he's finally, at least some semblance, back home. I want to encourage you and and me. Uh, Man, it's really easy to get caught up in all the stuff going on. If I land the right job, if I have the right perfect kids, and we go through this list of things that can happen on this earth, we forget where home is. Forget where our hope is. Let me read you this interesting passage in Hebrews. Pretty cool that the book is named Hebrews. And it records these great men and women of faith in chapter 11. And it gets to, so Genesis is going to give 13 chapters to Joseph. That's that's a lot of Bible to one character. Hebrews chapter 11 is going to give him one verse. One little tiny, like, synopsis of his life. Here's what it says. It was by faith that Joseph when he was about to die, which we'll get to later in this book, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. You think his hope was in his stuff, in his power? Before he died, while things were still really good for the Jewish people, he says that they're going to leave Egypt. And then the last part of the verse is even more convincing. He even commanded them to take his bones with him when they left. gives me a chill bump. He wants to go home. Where does he want to go? He wants to go to the promised land. He wants to go to the land that was promised to his great-grandfather, to his grandfather, and to his father. He wants to go to the promised land. As a matter of fact, even if I'm dead, put my bones in a box and take me to the promised land because I'm not home. This is doing his job to help his people get home. And I, I, I want to. Tell you today, we celebrate an event on Sundays because Jesus asked us to to remember that event. But we remember that event because it's the closest thing to home we ever experienced on this earth. If you're a follower of Jesus, the scripture literally calls you an alien. You don't belong. Don't matter how much you have or don't have. What makes us close to home is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ that his body broken and his blood shed actually gives us a relationship with the father and one, the great father who never fails is waiting for us to come home. We get together on Sundays so that we don't forget that fact because we live the week and even, even on a Sunday morning, we know we're broken people and outside of the redemption of the blood of Jesus and his body broken, we have no home. But because of it, If you believe and you come take it in a minute, we're remembering the great, not only opportunity, but right we have to call God the Father my dad. As a matter of fact, God the Father would welcome you at his dinner table right now as we sing. We spend time worshiping after we preach because we constantly want to take, hear God's word and be able to respond to God. We, we sing after the fact because we want to let, you, let your voices rise. God's, it gives you a minute to reflect on his word, and then it gives you this chance to respond and make noise about it because that's, that is good news, right? And then we just end the chapter because we're, we're in this narrative, and you almost got like this to be continued that comes across the screen because the story's not over, and you're going to get to hear more about Joseph and watch him go through the process of getting at least closer to home. He never gets home, though, not in this life nor will you, outside of your relationship to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word and the uh, power of a story. Continue to pray, Lord, you would form us as your children, as Radius Church, that you would form us, that you would make these stories as we listen to them and as we allow them to go into our ears and into our minds, that you would push them into our souls and that we would follow some of these examples and learn from the good decisions they made and even learn from the bad decisions they made Lord so that we would look more like you Jesus we celebrate now as we sing because Jesus we have the right to be called sons of God because of your death we have a place to belong we look forward to a home with you in heaven Look forward to constantly being in your presence with none of this stuff that goes on in our world and our way. A place where we can rest, never be overwhelmed again, never be stressed again, never have a need to cry again. We look forward to being in your presence, Jesus. Listen to us as we worship. Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.